Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm the discipleship pastor here, and um, we're, we're kicking off a series, as has been mentioned, called Unto Us. And um, this Sunday is the first Sunday in a season called Advent, like we've been talking about. And Advent is one of those times in the year that's always been really um, special to me. I grew up in a Methodist church, and so Advent was a, a really, really big deal um, there, and they had the candles, the whole the whole deal. And so um, I've always been fascinated with this tradition of stopping and waiting and remembering what it was like to not yet know who the Savior was. And um, it's in this season of Advent that I think that we can be reminded how temporally minded we are, how circumstance-focused we can get, because life can be really, really hard, and life can get really difficult, and we can get tired of having to figure it out. But the Christmas season reminds us that we don't have to do it on our own. And so in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our weariness, in the midst of our waiting, we can remember that God did show up, that something amazing did happen, and we can look forward to it. And so all these things that we do at Christmas, all these traditions point to this incredible reality that Jesus showed up as the light of the world, and so we have Christmas lights, that he was the greatest gift ever given to us, and so we exchange gifts all to remind us and point ourselves back to the singular reality that humanity shifted back towards God because God showed up within humanity. And so unto us, over the course of this month, we're going to look at the different um, things that Jesus was called in the book of Isaiah, the the names that he was given. Today, specifically, we're going to look at the reality of Christ as Emmanuel, God with us. I Every time we, we get into Advent, I'm reminded of um, a story from Cohen because I, I got to do a Christmas time wedding a couple years ago um, for a couple of my friends. And that year, it was two years ago, so Cohen, who's now five, was three then. He was sick um, the days leading up to the wedding. And we knew he was sick, not because he had like a super high fever or anything like that, but because he was just kind of tired and just laying around and instead of like running past you he would just be there laying with his his toys and so if you've ever met Cohen you probably met him in passing as he ran past you Uh, and so we knew that he wasn't feeling well so my parents watched him I went and did the the wedding Emily went with me when we came home he was asleep on the couch and so after my parents left I picked him up off the couch and got to carry him to his his bed and we're walking up the stairs and he Uh, wakes up a little bit and sees Emily behind me. And in the middle of him being sick and tired and half asleep, he looks back at Emily and he sees her and he's happy about that. And then he asks, wait, where's my dad? Where's my dad? I'm carrying him up the stairs. And he says, where's my dad? And he's just starting to lose it. Where's Where's my dad? And that story reminds me of the reality of Advent, that sometimes in this life we can get so tired and so distraught and so sin sick that we forget that our father in heaven is carrying us through and we look around and we think where is God in all of this and he's the one who's actually sustaining us Isaiah 40 28 and 29 says this do you not know have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth he will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. He's not getting tired, we are. 
He's not losing perspective, we are. We're putting our heads down and he's saying, look up. You have eternity waiting for you because of what I've done in the midst of history. And so don't get so focused on what's happening right now. Hold on to me. I'll carry you through even this. And so we're going to look today at what it means that God was with us from a story from Isaiah chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 7, I'll be reading out of the CSB. We're going to look at the story of King Ahaz and what he did when he was very, very worried. But before we get started, will you pray with me? God, we are thankful to be in this place today. And we pray that we would just hold on to the truth of who you are, that we would leave changed because we spent time studying your word. We love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So each week, we want to take time in the middle of our waiting, in, in the middle of what might be a tiring season, and just be a place of rest and refuge as we head towards Christmas. We can just hold on to these realities of who Jesus is. No matter what's going on in your life, this can be a time where we look together at who Jesus is and what he's come to, to do for us. And so we're going to look today, like I said, at a story from Isaiah chapter 7. And um, it's a story of a king named Ahaz. And if you never heard uh, about Ahaz, um, that's okay, because he, he plays just this little role. What you need to know about Ahaz was he was not a really good king. He wasn't a, a great king. He didn't really trust God. Um, as we get into Isaiah chapter 7, it is a, a crisis for the kingdom of uh, Judah. So in front of Isaiah 7, um, the Hebrew people were split into two different kingdoms after the death of Solomon, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Um, both kingdoms struggled to stay faithful to God. You, hear, you read about these people in First and Second Kings, um, and eventually both end up exiled. But in Isaiah chapter 7, it shows the kingdom of Israel and a, a king named Aram trying to invade Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. And so King Ahaz is nervous about this invasion. And so that's where we pick up. In Isaiah 7, verses 1 and 2, it says this. This took place during the, king, uh, during the reign of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Aram's, army, Aram's king Rezin and Israel's king Pekah, son of Ramallah, went to fight Jerusalem, but they were not able to conquer it. When it became known to the house of David that Aram had occupied Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of the people trembled like the trees of a forest shaking in the wind. And so we, we jump into this story, and Ahaz is worried. He's been risen to a king of God's nation, and he's worried that some outside force is going to be able to overtake him, and that worry transfers into his people. The hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken the trees of the, as trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And so here's the first point and the thing that we can hold on to. God is for us. Do you believe this? God's for us. Ahaz can put his trust in God and should have put his trust in God, but Ahaz wasn't a good king. He didn't have a heart full of trust for what God would do. 
And in the, in the middle of this, instead of staying confident in whose he was and whose side he was on, he got nervous. And that nervousness transferred into his people. And when we put our faith, when we put our trust in anything outside of a God who is for us, we can get really nervous depending on what circumstances come our way. A little bit of financial trouble seems like it's going to ruin us because we're not living according to what God has for us. Do we believe that God is for us? Ahaz just does not believe God, which is a worse state than not believing in God because it acknowledges that God exists, but it refuses to give him control when things get really, really tricky, to just not believe God. And so Isaiah is sent to Ahaz to give him some good news. And so we'll read verses 3 through 7. Um, so the Lord says to Isaiah, Go, meet with your son, Shear Jeshub, and meet to meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool. By the road of the launderer's field, stay by the road, or sorry, say to him, calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smoldering sticks. The fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, the son of Remaliah, for Aram along with Ephraim and, and the son of Remaliah has plotted harm against you. They say, let's go up to Judah and terrorize it and conquer it for ourselves. Then we can install a, a new king. And in verse 7, it says this, this is what the Lord God says. It will not happen. It will not occur. It will not happen. It will not occur. Ahaz is nervous because it seems like he's being overwhelmed. It seems like he's about to get overtaken. And God sends a messenger to him that says, it's not going to happen. Don't worry about it. You don't need to be worried about this. It's not going to happen. And Ahaz, instead of believing God, forms an unsteady allegiance with the Assyrians. He goes to the Assyrians. He offers sacrifices to the Assyrians. He does all these things in order for the Assyrians to protect him. Which brings us to our next point, that desperate times reveal what you trust the most. For Ahaz, he trusted himself the most and his own ability to ration and reason and form, and form alliances and negotiate and get himself out of trouble. He thinks that these people are going to come and overtake him. And instead of believing God, when God says, don't worry about it, I'm on your side, this is not going to happen. I know that you're worried, but this is not going to happen. He goes and he forms an alliance with the Assyrians. 2 Kings 16, 2 and 3, it says, He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and sacrificed his son in the fire. And then 2 Kings 16 goes on to say in verse 7, uh, Ahaz says to the Assyrians, I am your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of King Aram and the king of Israel. Ahaz does his own thing. And it's easy for us to, to look at Ahaz and, and think, like, man, that was really stupid because we have the benefit of hindsight. We know that God would have done what he said he was going to do. In Isaiah 7, 
11, 10 and 11, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz and said, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. Ahaz wouldn't even entertain the idea of trusting God in the middle of his difficult circumstance. Instead, he went with his own knowledge. And I don't know about you, but I do this a lot. Because God says one thing, and I think, ugh, that's pretty tough. Do you really want me to trust you completely with my finance? Do you really want me to do that? Do do you really want me to trust your providence over my ability to hold on to a job? Do you really want me to go and be in this scenario right now? And we negotiate with God, and we make it fit what we would rather have. We read plain-spoken truths in Scripture, and we think... Ah, that probably doesn't mean what it meant then to me now. I mean, I know it says don't lie, but they're asking me right now like what I think about this, and I don't want to hurt their feelings. There's no way that I could say this. Kind of, so, maybe just this, this one lie just this one time. I know it says be generous, but I got I to gotta keep mine for me, right? And we negotiate with God just like Ahaz did, just with different stakes. We're not kings of nations. But in our own lives, we go our way instead of God's way over and over again. And God just says, I'm I'm on your side. I'm not going to let you be over. I'm for you. Do you believe this? And then life gets tough and we think, I don't know if I believe you completely, God. And so we've all been in situations where God wanted us to trust him and We made alliances with our own empires. We trusted ourselves to provide over what he says. And so here's here's where the story turns and where it gets really interesting. Because Jesus' arrival on earth was significant and Isaiah would point to it in this moment. Because Isaiah, who has been talking to Ahaz, is now done with Ahaz. He's like, look, I told you what God said. I told you that God said this thing's not going to happen, and you went on, and you made a stupid alliance. And Isaiah 7, if you continue and read the rest of the chapter, that alliance does fail, King Ahaz. And then God told me to tell you to test him, and you wouldn't even try it. And so I'm done with you, Ahaz. And then he turns and he talks to the people of Israel. And this is what it says in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Isaiah said, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive and, will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God is with us. Because here's the reality, that God is with us even if it doesn't make sense. Even if it doesn't make sense, God is with us. And he's telling the people of Israel, God will come to be with you. He will show up in the flesh. This makes Christianity different than any other religion on earth. This is where God puts on the flesh of his created being. And lives and walks among them. 
because he was tired of us having to put our faith in man-appointed kings, even though that's what the Israelites had asked for. Give us a king. And God tried over and over, and they failed to stay faithful to God. And so God said, look, I'll be with you. I'll show up. You can follow me forever. And so God does show up. And this is so significant that when Matthew writes his gospel about the birth of Jesus, this is the the prophecy that was drawn upon to convince Joseph to stay with Mary. Because we know the story, right? Mary, a virgin, was conceived through the Holy Spirit. And Joseph finds out that his wife is pregnant before they're married, and so he sees to divorce her. But an angel shows up to Joseph and says, no, 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 don't do that. And in Matthew 1, 21 through 23, it says this. An angel appears and tells them she will give birth to a son, and you're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel which is translated, God is with us. For Joseph, it didn't make sense that his wife was pregnant. But the power of God being with us, the power of that truth, allowed him to also be faithful, allowed him to trust God in the middle of his difficult circumstance. And so here we are today, can we hold on to the reality that God is with us? The incarnation is so significant because God showed up to be with us in the middle of our best parts of humanity and the worst parts of our humanity. He came to walk along dirty streets and be with us, to laugh with us, to cry with us, to mourn with us, and to ultimately be hung on a cross and die for us. His showing up in the flesh meant that he would be killed in his flesh. And he came and he willingly participated in that pain so that we would never forget that we matter in his eyes. That we matter to God in an eternal perspective. He came to upside down and revolutionize human value. You no longer have to matter by becoming a king or queen. You have value because you're a son or daughter of the king of the universe. And Jesus showed up to prove that, to be with us and say, you're my co-heirs in this. We can do this together. I know that life is difficult. I know that life is tough. He mourned. He wept when Lazarus died. He was there with He had nails through his hands. And he had his back broken open. He hung on a cross so that we would know without question that we matter in the sight of an eternal God. His showing up changed everything for us. And so the presence under the tree, the lights on the tree, everything we do points back to this moment and the greatest gift that humanity was ever given, that God is with us in the flesh. And so don't put your hope in checking off every gift on a Christmas list. Don't put your hope in showing up at every party that you feel obligated to show up at. Put your hope in the fact that Jesus calls us to be with him and he calls us to be with one another. I'm reminded all the time 
uh, or I've, I've thought about often since uh, we got back from vacation. We were able to go to um, Disney World over fall break and um, take our kids. And one day in particular, uh, Cohen and Emily were going to ride Expedition Everest. And so I had Emery, who was 17 months old at the time, and she cannot ride Expedition Everest because she's about this big, you know. And so I took her, and I remembered, oh, there's this dinosaur ride, the Triceratops spin, right over here close to where we are. I'm going to walk over there while they're waiting in line, and I'm going to take her on this ride. It'll be like a special uh, dad and daughter thing. And I didn't even think about it. I just went over there. We got in line. I showed her the thing, and she went, wow, you know, because she's, like, just starting to talk. And then we got on the ride, and I set her down next to me, and we're sitting in there, and we're sitting for a minute. Um, and I'm like, I want to capture this moment. So I got out my phone, and I was going to take a video. And I uh, face it towards her, and I'm like, okay, Emery. This is the ride's getting ready to start. I'm like, okay, Emery, are you ready? And she was like, nope, don't want to do this, Dad. <laughs> And, I, like, the ride's about to start at that moment. We're buckled in. Everybody's ready, and the person's going back over to start the ride. And so I have no time. It, this is, like, a very dad problem to have, you know, like, where you don't even ask the kid, do you want to do this thing that I want to do? Uh, you just take them along with you. And I, so I just instinctively, I just said, uh, okay, well, we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> and for the for the first time in her life, she said, ready. There was something in that moment that gave her confidence to do this thing that she was not prepared to do. And it was the fact that she wasn't alone. It was the fact that there was somebody with her who had carried her there. And she had a great, I mean, she had a great time once we started going and she knew everything was going to be okay. But I think about that all the time when I'm confronted with the difficult things that Jesus asked me to do. Are you ready? No. And he says to me, okay, well, let's go do it anyway. Because you showing up matters even if you feel not ready. Being there with people matters. Even if you don't have all the right words to say and you don't know what to do once you get there, it matters that we show up because Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up in our history. He showed up. He walked on the gross, dirty streets in a world in which air conditioning was not yet invented. He chose to show up to prove that it doesn't matter how disgusting or hot or crowded it's going to get. I want to be with people. I want to be with them and show them that they have value eternally. And so he's sending us out this Christmas to be with people, not to just get your shopping done, to be with people, not to just get your decorating done, to be with people. Because the greatest gift of all time wasn't salvation delivered by divine courier. It was a God who showed up in our midst. And said, I'm not just going to save you. I'm going to show you what life is supposed to be about. So go be with people this Christmas, especially if you know of a need and you don't feel exactly ready. That's probably the perfect time to trust because it's in our weakness that he's made strong. I was talking with a, a friend a couple years ago around Christmas. And she was talking to me about how significant churches 
around the holidays. And something occurred to me that I'd never thought about before. And it was because her lifelong spouse was no longer with her. And she said, being with people makes all the difference. Being able to hug people, say hello, sing these songs of eternal hope, rub shoulders with and sit next to people, it changes everything. And so don't underestimate the role that you play in incarnational ministry. It wasn't just that Jesus showed up in the flesh. It's that we're to show up in the flesh. In this digital age of push notifications, of FaceTime, of social media, being across the table from somebody makes the world of difference, and it'll be the difference maker for the people of God if we go out with a message of hope this Christmas to be with people. Tangibly there with them. Can we have the courage to show up on Christmas Day to the friend that we know who's alone? Because Christmas, if, if nothing else, should remind us that nobody should be alone on Christmas. And God said, I'll be with you always. So let's be with each other always. I know. I know that it's tough. But go to the hospital room. I know that it's tough, but invest in that friendship. Invest in the person that doesn't yet know exactly what it means to follow Jesus. Speak life into them. Show them what scripture says. Help them stop negotiating with Jesus. Each of us can be with someone, but make sure that you bring hope with you. And that is the story of a God who came to save his people by becoming a person. <laughs> by dying a death that they deserved. By paying a sin debt that they could not pay back. Emmanuel, God with us. Are you ready? No, probably not. But let's do it anyway. Let's go be the people of hope and peace and joy this Christmas and not the people of busyness and worry and stress. Let's be different by holding on to the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to show us that life was about.